0: We've been studying for several weeks from the Gospel of John and one of the things that you will notice is that John is picturing for us our Savior and how he dealt in the lives of real people. It wasn't as if he just walked about and didn't concern himself with all those people with whom he had interaction and those whom he met. The Lord loved people and the Lord lived with people and had a profound impact on who they were and how they lived as well. By way of introduction, I'd like to begin by making a few observations. People are fascinated by near-death experiences. It wasn't just a few years ago that Brother Don McWater from Fayette, Alabama, came and spoke here, and Brother McWater revealed an event that had happened to him not too many Weeks prior, he had gone into the hospital in Tuscaloosa for heart procedure, a heart surgery. It was successful. He came out of that and was ready to be dismissed. He was standing at the sink brushing his teeth when he had a massive cardiac arrest. They put him in the bed, called a code on him, and they also called his cardiologist. They worked with him for several minutes and were unsuccessful, and they pulled the sheet over his face. His cardiologist walked in just as they pulled the sheet over his face, and she said, give him so many CCs or whatever, an amount of medicine, and um, she called for it. Just as soon as the needle touched his heart, it started back again. It was just a few weeks after that that Brother McWhorter spoke here, and he addressed the idea that some people have of near-death experiences. He talked about hearing them say he's gone, and he heard them say, pull the sheet over his head. I can imagine that was a rather scary situation. And I've got my own opinions about what people think they see when they believe they've had a near-death experience. I want to make a very important point about this. Lazarus was not a near-death experience, but a past-death experience. Lazarus had been dead for four days when this event occurred. We also recognize that many emotions were attached to his death. Just like you and I, when we lose someone very close to us, have some very tender feelings. And when we lose perhaps a parent or a child or a sibling, we all have some very powerful emotions that go along with that. I believe there's some great lessons to be drawn from this account. And we're going to try to look at three things as we observe this passage. Number one, we're going to look at the reaction of Jesus. He heard the message that his friend Lazarus was sick. How did he respond to that? How did Jesus respond when he arrived and he saw everyone crying and weeping? Then we want to look at the reaction of Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. I think it's interesting to read about that in this passage. But then number three, to see the raising of Lazarus. The words of Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. Look at what all occurred with that. Let's begin, first of all, with the first few verses of chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, Lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said... And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, that's just the first 11 verses, but I want to draw out a few details for you. Jesus enjoyed a special relationship with these brother and sisters. Sometimes when you and I think about Jesus, we Develop in our minds this idea of someone who walked about and he never had any close relationships with anyone. But the truth is the Lord had close friends. Of his apostles, Peter and James and John were extremely close to him, and particularly John. As we will observe when we get to the end of the book, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John reflects to us now that he has a special relationship here because he says, he whom you love is sick. The word that is translated love here is for the word for friend. Your friend is sick, but it's talking about the relationship that he had. And then when you get to verse 5, it says he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved all three of them. We're also told here that this Mary is the same one that anointed his feet with oil and wiped them with her hair. Now, when John writes this, this is in the past. But when John is speaking, this is a future event. In fact, it's in chapter 12. If you just want to notice with me these first few verses here it talks about six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, and whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And you know that Judas goes on and complains that this should have been sold, the money given to the poor, but Judas didn't care for the poor. He wanted the money that was found within it. I often like when I read about people to see if the Bible tells me more about them. And in this case, it does. It tells me in Luke chapter 10 a little more about how the Lord met Martha and Mary. And I would say that we have several sisters in the audience. And I would imagine of those of you who are sisters, usually one of you has one type personality and the other a little bit different. Listen to how Luke records this. Now it happened as they they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now listen carefully as you get to verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. Martha was the kind of woman who was always concerned about, is there food on the table? Is there going to be enough food for everybody to eat? Is my house clean? Is everything ready? And folks, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about taking care of necessary items. Mary is evidently a little more laid back and not as concerned with that because she sat at Jesus' feet. She's hearing what Jesus has to say. But I think when you get down to verse 41 when he says, Martha, Martha you are worried and troubled about many things. Jesus is trying to tell her there's a lot of things that you've focused on. I think it's interesting when you go to chapter 12, you will see she's the one who's serving there as well. I think it's also interesting that when you get to chapter 12, that Mary is also the one now sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus often stayed in Bethany the likely the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In Matthew 21, it says, Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning he returned to the city. He was hungry. John 11:18 18 tells us that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. So the Lord would go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, just over the Hill, we would say, of the Mount of Olives. Now, let's focus a little more on the details here. They sent for the great physician. They knew that Jesus had power. And I find it interesting that the Lord, after he gets the message according to verse 6, he waits two more days before they leave. And yet when he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. That means that it's taken two days for them to travel. That tells you that they're all the way on the other side of the Jordan. They're not nearby. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He had already told them that this is with the glory of God. He also told them that Lazarus had died. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But now if you think about the reaction of Jesus, there's a couple of things that just really, to me, draws us out. If you look at verses 35 and 36, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Do you know what is so remarkable about that? Jesus knew in just a few minutes he was going to say, Lazarus, come forth. He knew Lazarus would rise from the dead, and yet he wept. You know, I go to funerals all the time funerals for Christians. Funerals where the family knows my loved one has lived a godly life doing everything that was right and good that they could do. And yet they still weep. And someone says to them, oh, you don't need to cry. You don't need to weep because you know where they're going. Yes, Jesus knew Lazarus was going to rise But he was emotionally concerned. He loved Lazarus and this family. You drop down to verses 33 and 38. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. Oh, yeah. He was moved emotionally. You know why? Jesus cares. He cares. Now let's look at the response of the sisters. Verses 20 through 32. Now Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called for Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but there was a place where Martha met him, and then the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her when they saw Mary rose quickly, went out and followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to Jesus where he was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, if you go all the way back, the sisters know the power of Jesus. They know his ability They had evidently seen him heal the sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. You need to come to him. When Jesus arrives, verse 20, Martha goes out to meet him. She doesn't wait for him to get there. She's going to meet him on the way. Mary also, after she hears about it, she goes and meets him along the way as well. What I find interesting is both of them make a statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We wish you had been here. Oh, but the Lord had a greater purpose in this. The sisters are grief-stricken as you would expect. Just like if your brother or your sister in this life were to pass, and some of you have had that, you know the tears that are shed. You also see here in this passage, verse 19 and verse 31, there are those who have gathered together to comfort them. It's just like when there's a visitation or a wake that occurs for those who pass. The friends and the families go there to express their love and concern. But I want you to notice these sisters believe that Jesus and they believe in the resurrection of the dead. Martha said, I know that he will be raised on the last day in the resurrection. Now, let's talk about that. Let's look at verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I know that you always hear me but because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound head and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now, I want you to observe here, this is beyond dispute. Lazarus has been dead four days. You know, there's a lot of people who have this idea that perhaps Lazarus only appeared to be dead. They call that swooning. That's not the case here. He's been dead for four days. In fact, to such a degree that Martha said, Lord, there's a stench. The body has already begun to decay. Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus reminds her to say, Did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? Verse 4, Jesus had said that's why he was going, so that the glory of God might be seen through him. And he opened with a prayer of thanks. Why did he do that? Obviously always wanting to thank God. But he did so publicly. Verbally. So that people could hear him. So they would know that God had sent him. What I find interesting is the way Lazarus comes out. The text tells us that he was bound. hand feet, even had his face wrapped. It was like a mummy. Lord said, loose him and let him go. Untie him of all of these grave clothes. Now what's really remarkable is if you follow what else happens. Here's Lazarus now, a man who has been dead, who's been raised to life. How's anybody going to deny that? Look at the verses that follow, verses 45 through 47. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs wow, how are you going to deal with this? It's one thing to turn water to wine. Maybe we can figure out some way to explain that. But how do you take people who were born blind like John chapter 9 and give him sight? How do you take a man who has been lame And everybody knows that in John chapter 5 and you give him the ability to walk. But to top it off, you take a man who's been dead four days and you raise him from the dead. Hmm. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Go to chapter 12 and you'll, again, this is later after the right near the time Jesus is going to be crucified. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. That means they're telling everybody. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done the sign. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Look, you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You see, the enemies of Jesus have not let it dawn on them. He has this power. He has this ability. It comes from God. And we don't know what to do. We don't know how to address this thing. So they come up with one solution. They've got to kill him. The person that is able to raise the dead... Heal the sick, teach God's word, they're going to kill him. What prejudice against him. Chapter 11, verses 49 and 50. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Verse 53, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Now here's what is so remarkable. That won't work. Because the same God that raised Lazarus at the request of Jesus, God is going to raise him from the dead as well. Now what should we conclude? What should we derive from all of this? Jesus has the power over death. When the Hebrew writer was trying to explain the role of Jesus in coming to this earth, he said, Inasmuch then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same, that through death... He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came here to destroy death, to provide life. But then you are forced with the recognition that we still die. Oh, but that's because death is going to be destroyed at a particular point in the future. When he comes again and he raises everybody from the grave, that's when Jesus will have conquered death. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 through 25. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father, God the Father and puts an end to all rule and authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy is death. You see, Jesus, when he returns again, will ultimately slay death. That's when everybody who hears his voice will come forth Remember John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Which brings me to the final aspect. Will you be raised to eternal life or eternal death? You see, there's going to come that day, that resurrection day, in which everybody, those of us who are alive and those of us who have passed are going to be prepared for an eternal sentence. If you are not yet a Christian, we'd like to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel call. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you do, repent of your sins. Turn your back on those things that you've done wrong. Confess his name before this audience. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then is Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias said to Saul, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you have already done that, and you're a Christian, and you've got difficulty of sin in your life, why not confess it, and let's pray about it. If you need to respond, please come while together we stand and sing.